That's right. Time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's Friday. And what did they say? Thank God it's Friday. Praise the Lord, it's Friday. Well, thank God. Thank God works. <laughs> Tough week. Got some good listener email today. Got an interesting news story. And I've got some pretty far out audio clips uh, from John Shelby Spong and Marcus Borg. This is just going to be all kinds of fun. We got uh, John Shelby Spong talking about the doctrine of hell and its apparent uh, lack of existence. Uh, Apparently, we made that, that the church made up that doctrine. Did you know that? Okay, so uh, we're responsible for making up the doctrine of hell because we're all about controlling people. Does his coins all have only heads and heads on it? There's no heads and tails? There's no heads and tails? Uh, <laughs> apparently something like that, yes. That's that's probably how it works. And uh, we're, we're, we moved our, our mixing board today, so our levels are a little bit off. So, uh, but we'll work at it. Work at it while we work through the program today. Okay, I uh, got an email yesterday, that, uh, actually the day before, that uh, I thought was worth reading, and uh, this one's from Andrew uh, Deloach. He's an attorney in Upland, California. Got to be careful, of those guys. And he has a show on Pirate Christian Radio. Oh, that's right. Okay, <clears throat> Andrew writes, and he has a great point. He calls me Rose Bowl. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <sighs> <laughs> it's a new one. Hoorah. It's yes. uh, they <laughs> Tuesdays at nine o'clock. I think that yeah, that's right. What's the name of his show again? His name is take the stand. Take the stand. That's right. And uh, he does apologetics from a legal point of view and uh, you know, evidence and things like that. And it's actually a, a very good show. And so he's kind of has that like Paul Harvey voice, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so Andrew is writing and, and he says, I'm listening to your show live right now as you review Tony Jones's article on the Trinity. Yeah, and t- Tony Jones, um, <laughs> is the Trinity optional? Do you have to believe in the Trinity? And, you know, and so uh, he has, he, I think he has one up today that who gets to decide what orthodoxy is? You know, it, it, it <laughs> the answer to the question is God's word does. Christ does. You know, you read God's word, and that's why we use the historical grammatical m- method of interpretation, because we work from the basic idea that God is a... Um, how do I put it? An intelligent being? God is, uh, he knows what he's talking about. He's pretty darn smart. And so when God is talking about things, he knows what he's talking about. And he used the, the medium of words and grammar. And so you you understand words and grammar and sentence construction and context. And, you know, history comes into place too, you know, into play as far as, you know, historical context is concerned as well. And so anyway... <clears throat> How did I get off on that to- on that topic? I don't know. Okay, back to to Andrew's question. Okay, Art. okay. Let me segue back into Andrew's question because apparently I, I lost myself on that, but it, it was an important point. Anyway, so to, oh, that's right. Uh, who, I was talking about Tony Jones and his in his article. Who gets to decide orthodoxy? The, the the answer is God's word. You know, not me, not you. God's word does. And if and if you contradict God's word the way it was intended by the author, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. Uh, then you're wrong. 
you know, you're not orthodox. You're, you could be heterodox. You could be a heret, heretical, depending on what, you know, what we're talking about here. You know, and there's some leeway here. There's some doctrines that are just not negotiable and others that are, are that, you know, you can be wrong on, you know, if you're not a Lutheran, but you know, you'll find out that the Lutherans are right when we die. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Okay. Okay, says so I'm listening to your uh, uh, your as you review Tony Jones's article on the Trinity and his query. I see an attorney using the word query. Uh, his question whether the Trinity is necessary for Christian belief reminds me of something Tertullian pointed out in on, uh, out in his on the prescription of heretics. And uh, I happen to own this uh, as part of my computerized library of Christian resources. And uh, went, reviewed it. Actually, it's it's really. Tertullian has some good points here. And so uh, Andrew has uh, reduced, you know, kind of hit some bullet points regarding what to tr- how Tertullian uh, gives the following characteristics as to who's a heretic or what, you know, what is somebody who's a heretic. Or heresy, he, pro- you know, so this is Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian proclaims that heresy, uh, like persecution, actually tests men's faith. Okay. So if somebody has a doctrine that they're, you know, they're teaching you, it ends up testing your faith more than likely you may be dealing with a heresy. Does it build you up in the faith? Then you're probably getting sound doctrine. That's a, that's a, there, there's some wisdom there. Um, uh, heresy was predicted by Christ and condemned by Paul, who uttered a warning against philosophy and vain deceits. Absolutely. Heresy, it is caused by boundless and unfettered curiosity. Apparently the emergent church was around during the time of Tertullian. <laughs> And then the heretic, therefore, can be easily discovered since he seeks endlessly without ever finding. He must always try to doubt the regular fide, that, you know, the, the regular faith, with genuine Christian, uh, which genuine Christians believe without question. Wow. Andrew, I appreciate this insight. And, and by the way, I spent, a, I spent a little bit of time reviewing some of what uh, Tertullian wrote here. And, and, and this, the, the point that he's making is, is that... Um, he says this pretty much sums up Tony Jones and the rest of the emergent gang. You know, the emergent church, they're not interested in, in, in arriving at some kind of a truth. They just want to have a discussion. Join the emergent conversation. And what are we going to do? We're going to endlessly converse and we're going to invite everybody to the table and everybody has an equal say and all, and all opinions are valid and we can learn what God is doing in your life based upon what you're bringing to the table. Even if what you're bringing to the table isn't really jiving with Orthodox Christianity, it's okay because it's the journey we don't need to arrive we just need to endlessly seek and never find (laughs) and apparently the emergent church was around during the time of tony jones and that shouldn't surprise us because what does solomon say there's nothing new under the sun so uh he says by the way he says he's way jones is tony jones is way off when he refers to the nicene trinitarianism the early church taught the trinity well before the council of nicaea made it a creed amen very true tertullian among others combated several heretical non-trinitarian doctrines of uh Montan- montanism and sabellianism and i uh, dedicated a whole episode of my show to that very subject well, we'll have to point. What do you know his uh, his website address for his uh, podcast? I I don't. But if he's listening, you can say hi. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you what. We'll hunt it down and we'll put it on. Uh, we'll we'll put a link up to uh, Andrew's uh, podcast so that people can uh, can download and find that copy. Good point. All right, hang on a second here. You know, this is one of those times where I wish I had a lot of country western music or uh, rawhide. You know. <laughs> Which which version? I I like the Blues Brothers version. You like the Blues Brothers version of yeah. Rawhide? Yeah, with, with Aykroyd and, and uh, uh, John Belushi. Really? Oh yeah. I, I wonder if we could Google that. Um, 
Okay, the reason why I wish I had a copy of Rawhide, you know what, that's it. I'm going to YouTube. I'm, I bet you anything they have. <laughs> because uh, this, we, in segueing into this one, I don't want to use our uh, our normal uh, news update music. Rawhide. Hang on a second here. Rawhide. Blue, you like the Bruce Brothers edition? Oh, yes. It, okay, I, it's, I see Rawhide Blues Brothers. <sighs> Is this appropriate to play on the air? Oh yeah. Okay, just checking. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, cuz I don't recall this. So here it's rolling, rolling, rolling. All right. Why are we playing Rawhide? <laughs> well, we've got a story here in the Christian Post. And the headline reads, uh, Cowboy Churches Attracting Large Crowds. <laughs> Cowboy Churches. I would hate to walk through that parking lot. <laughs> Man. Do they, do, they have, uh, do they have church for city slickers? All right, I've had enough rawhide. <laughs> okay, there's, so rawhide is our uh, music for this. So the headline reads uh, in the, from the Christian po- Post, uh, Cowboy Churches Attracting Large Crowds. Um, again, I kind of go back to that question that I've had over and over again. Why is it that we are we are coming up with every single different type of church that caters to a subculture or a particular taste in the culture? You know, the, now remember that song "Rhinestone Cowboy." Oh yeah. Okay. Now dur- I remember during the seventies there was a whole country and western revival. It was really hip and cool to be country and western and have big old belt buckles and things like that. Cowboy hats. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, and then it kind of fell out of favor. And then, you know, and was it in the 90s? Line dancing came in, okay? And I think that's when Garth Brooks was, you know, making his rounds and things like that. That was, you know, th- there was a resurgence of country and western. And then, it, you know, it, it's not quite as uh, popular in the culture. But then you have some crossover artists like Faith Hill and stuff like that. So, you know, that that's about the extent of my knowledge as it, as it deals with country and western. Um, but my question, why are we having churches that are dividing along subculture lines? Okay. Now I, I would fit into a, uh, cowboy church, um, just as well as I would fit into a goth church. Okay. And my question is, is that, you know, if, if we can have cowboy church, can we have fat white guy church, <laughs> fat white guy, suburbanite church? Don't you understand what I'm saying? Do they measure your waist before you get in? Yeah, you know we can have the biggest loser church. Okay, we can have the biggest loser church for people who are large who want to be smaller. Okay, yeah, and then once you get to be smaller, you can't stay in the biggest loser church because you're no longer a big. Well, you you are officially a big loser, but you you know you've you've I don't know you've succeeded. Do they have communion wine light? Yeah, there? you know can can we have church for people who like uh, twenty four? You know that's coming back on. You know, how about Battlestar Galactica church? You know, they have a Star Trek church, and there's even a Jedi church, or, you know, a Star Wars church. Hmm. Okay, so immediately I've got a problem, and that is is that, you know, here's the deal. The body of Christ doesn't under, doesn't know any such distinctions. distinctions. There's neither male nor female, you know, Jew nor Greek. You know, why are we slave nor free? Why are we dividing up? I mean, if if this was the way this is the way to do church then you would have seen i'm pretty sure we would have seen people you know in the new testament where paul would have set up slave church he would have set up uh, a, you know those for, those are for the you know the roman slaves uh, a church service specifically for the slave owners 
or you know the middle class and then you know and then you can have a uh, a church just for those who are converts from Judaism into Christianity and then you can have uh, a church just specifically for gentiles who are converts to Christianity who are Greek in ethnicity and then you can have the ones that are roman in ethnicity you, you understand what i'm saying the, the what we've lost is this concept of the catholicity of the christian faith and when I, well, I know people are going to go, whoa, whoa, he said the word Catholic. I'm not talking about Roman Catholics. I'm talking about the universality of the Christian faith. Okay. And re, truth be told, I should, you know, in an ideal situation, be able to like plug my, I should be able to go from one church to another church. Like if I'm on vacation with my wife and we decide that we're going to visit um, you know, New York City or whatever, I should be able to find a church, plug myself right in, and just feel right at home. You know, this, this, uh, you know, and, not, and not have to feel like I'm attending subculture New Yorker church or mafioso church. Or You understand what I'm saying? Am I making my point? Anyway, so let's read the article. Okay, uh, Waxahachie. Now, that's quite a word. Uh, you know what? You know, I, there's another word I really like, too. Monongahela? Oh. Yeah, you ever heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think Monongahela is in West Virginia. There's a whole, there's a, like a forest there. The Monongahela, never mind. Okay, Waxahachie, Texas. Moments after flying headfirst into the arena f- uh, floor dirt, the man gets up and brushes off his protective vest as rodeo clowns rush in to distract the still bucking bull. Okay. The crowd cheers. As the announcer reveals, he's fine. But uh, before the shoot opens with another cowboy atop him uh, uh, with a okay with <clears throat> take two, the crowd cheers as the announcer reveals he's fine. Just before the shoot opens with another cowboy atop of a menacing bull, but this isn't a typical rodeo. It's an outreach ministry of the Cowboy Church of Ellis County, which has grown from about two uh, three hundred to twenty two hundred members since it began nearly nine years ago. The church about 30 miles south of Dallas now bills itself as the world's largest cowboy church. Okay. Uh, The movement is about 40 years old, but has grown rapidly in recent years, especially among Baptists. The Midland, North uh, Carolina-based Cowboy Church Network of North America, supported by the Southern Baptist Convention of uh, uh, North American Missions Board, has started dozens of churches in 12 states and Canada since 2003. The Baptist General Convention of Texas has launched about 140 cowboy churches since 2000. So is there like an entire cowboy denomination now? Sounds like. Yeehaw. Okay. <clears throat> uh, the first in Ellis County, the congregants, uh, congregations now perform about 10% of all baptisms among the group's uh, 5,700 churches statewide, uh, officials said. It appeals to you because it comes. it's a come as you are. It, it, the church has come as you are. Now, one of the things I've noticed about purpose-driven churches, it's come as you are and stay as you are. <laughs> um, so it appeals to you because it's come as you are, said Chris Maddox, who attends Cowboy Church of Ellis County. You don't feel judged based upon how you're dressed, how you talk, how you look. We're not asking somebody to be something that they're not. Okay. I mean, this sounds magnanimous. Um Okay, um, so apparently you can come to church in your cowboy duds. Okay, when was uh, since we've all become such casual Americans, when has this been a problem? Okay, church churchgoers wear cowboy hats and jeans, sing hymns accompanied by a country band, and get baptized in horse troughs. 
Okay. Some have Western-themed sanctuaries. Others meet in barns or rodeo grounds, and some on weeknights. Now, there's nothing wrong with you know with Christian church meeting in different places. I, I mean, I, I get that, but you know, what are they meeting to do exactly? This is where we're going to get into the meat of this. A few months ago, Cowboy Church of Mobile, Alabama, started meeting at a nightclub called the Whiskey on Sunday each one Sunday each month, where the bar is normally closed for business. And uh, on summer Sundays in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, horse whisperer Grant Gollier leads cowboy church service at the Diamond Cross Ranch as he works with an abused or unbroken horse in the arena. He talks to the crowd about biblical parallels, and about an hour later, he's able to ride the animal. So uh, maybe this guy's like a God whisperer then. Never mind. All right, so we use an out-of-the-box method to get people to come because people have so many walls up with church, said Gallier. He's not ordained, but calls himself a horse trainer with a message. Okay, so, all right, so he's not ordained, He's in, but he gives sermons with horses on the stage that he's able to ride at the end, or maybe he... never mind. Okay, now organizers say the church attracts everyone from rodeo participants to farmers to country music lovers and people who embrace the Western lifestyle. Some don't fall into any of those categories, but say they just haven't felt comfortable in traditional churches. I met a man in a feed store who said that he hadn't been to church in 40 years, and now he's going to a cowboy church, said the Reverend Jeff Smith a North Carolina pastor who founded the Cowboy Church Network five years ago. Larger cowboy churches have arenas and offer rodeo events. So can you imagine going to a church that has a rodeo arena? Okay, okay. And uh, mainly to attract new members, they have brief devotions and sometimes baptize new believers in an outdoor trough. What a family uh, what a family life center is to a traditional church, an arena is to a cowboy church. So if you go to a traditional mega church and you have a family life center... They basically say that the, their arena is the equivalent of that. So you go to you go to church to work your animals or to have a show. Uh, so the Reverend Charles Higgs, uh, director of the Baptist Convention of Texas uh, Western Heritage Ministries, Matt Ward, who is 15, uh, who plans to become a professional bull rider, was among dozens who rode bulls earlier this month at a weekly event at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County's Arena. He attends another church near his hometown of Saginaw, about 50 miles away, but he came to the rodeo event because of a friend the, A friend recommended it. All right, we continue with the story. At other places, all they want to do is drink beer, Ward said, referring to non-church arenas, but there are a lot of nice people here, and that's a lot safer. So at other arenas, you just want to sit around and drink beer. So this is a family-friendly uh, rodeo arena. And some Baptist leaders say that their cowboy churches have grown so quickly because they offer an alternative for those who associate churches with long sermons and pressure to donate or to accept Jesus as their Savior. So if you want a church where you're not going to be pressured to become a Christian <laughs> or to donate... Um, or no long sermons. So no long sermons, no pressure to donate, and uh, nothing about pressuring you to... <laughs> That's weird. Okay. It is a little bit for Baptists. Now, in our church, we don't pressure people to make a decision for Jesus because we're not decision theology folks. So, you know, folks, if you want a church where you're not going to be pressured to make a decision for Jesus, become a Lutheran. But the thing is, I don't think Pastor uh, Hodel would look good in his, you know, in his uh, clerical alb and stuff like that on a on a, on the back of a bull. I think that'd be terrible. The sermons aren't too long. No, our, no, we no. got we got pretty short homilies too. But uh, and then we have Sunday school class, which could you know, if Roseboro's teaching that'll just drag on forever. 
Anyway, uh, many cowboy churches never mention tithing and don't have offering plates. They tuck envelopes into the service programs or put boots out for those who want to give. Also, some pastors don't have altar calls but encourage folks to uh, that want to follow Christ to see a minister privately. People think we've hung boots and hats on traditional Baptist churches, but we found a plan that was radically different, said the Reverend Ron Nolan, executive director of American Fellowship of Cowboy Churches and its Texas counterpart. So, all right, now... I, Again, I kind of go back to my original question. Why is it that we're dividing churches up along subcultures? It, it doesn't, you know, and from the sound of it, this this cowboy church network is growing so rapidly that, it, you know, it might as well be its own denomination. You know, what do we believe in? You know, well, we believe in the Trinity, uh, Frank, Frank and Beans. We don't believe in chewing and drinking beer while you're in the, in the uh, arena. What what is their doctrine? Do what other doctrinal positions say at this point? You know, so again, I mean, it sounds all great and everything, um, but again, my question: what, What's with the gimmicks? What's with all the gimmicks? And uh, it, it, again, I I think I'm going to have to do some researching. I'm going to have to I, I'm going to spend some time in some cowboy church websites to find out what a cowboy church devotional sounds like because they don't do sermons, right? And uh, see if I can figure out what's going on here but uh, i just bring this to your attention because well it's uh interesting frustrating all at the same time do you drive your car up to the church or your horse i'm afraid you have to bring a truck oh, you know, a truck. so you got you know you have to wear boots a hat levi's and if you show up you have to have like a dually pickup truck and a horse trailer okay because if you like show up in an american made you know compact car and you're not, and you're not wearing the proper tire. They might laugh at you. So here's the deal. Now, this all sounds great for the people who are really into the cowboy subculture. But my question is, uh, you know, what if you live in, you know, in an area of the world where there's a strong cowboy culture, but you're like a city slicker like me, and not, and the only churches that are around are cowboy churches? You know, I wouldn't feel comfortable there, would you? I don't think so. Chris. Okay, so. Um, and again, you know, what about the kids who are like into hip hop and things like that? Would they want to hang out in a cowboy church? They'll have a new tent for them. <sighs> can you do hip hop church and cowboy church in the same venue? You know, can you? And see, here's the deal. We've got all these these family friendly mega churches. Now we have cowboy friendly mega churches. What's the next subculture that we need to be reaching out to? Right? Because we're dividing church up along subculture and fad and taste lines. Right, and some people are going to email me and say, "Well, see, they're going to church. What's it matter?" Well, I don't think these things are neutral. Okay, what's with all the gimmicks? What about preaching Christ and Him crucified? You know, they have short devotions rather than sermons. Right? Immediately, I, that's the thing. I'm going. Oh, so if you attend Cowboy Church, are you even going to get the Word of God, or is it just really the important part? Is is that Pastor? Can you really hurry up because I need to use the arena because I've got a I've got an animal that I need to work. And uh, this is a really safe place to do it because people don't drink beer. You know, um, I've never attended. I've <laughs> never attended a uh, a church that had a uh, an arena for horses. But you know, then again, I'm just a city slicker. Anyway, so more signs of the times, if you ask me. What's you know what, what do you want to do here? And he's like, yeehaw. So anyway. All right, uh, we're going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take our first break just a couple minutes early. 
I'm going to take our first break a couple minutes early, and then when we come back, we're going to uh, take a listen to um, – got to make a decision. Uh, if I want to do uh, John Shelby Spong first or if I want to do Marcus Borg first. I'll decide that during the break. All right. If you would like to email me regarding Cowboy Church, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Hang on a second here. Let me get over to my bumper music. You can do so talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, we will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Fighting for the Faith is underwritten in part by LifeLock. Did you know that identity theft is a $50 billion a year business? And the severe downturn in the economy is providing identity thieves with even more incentives to hijack your identity and destroy your good name. But LifeLock provides a proactive identity theft service specializing in the prevention of identity theft rather than the reporting of it. LifeLock was founded in 2005 and is already considered the industry leader in identity theft prevention. In fact... LifeLock CEO Todd Davis is so confident in LifeLock's ability to protect your good name and stop identity thieves dead in their tracks that he freely shares his social security number on television, radio, and the internet. Furthermore, LifeLock guarantees its services up to $1 million. For more information on LifeLock, visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the LifeLock logo on our homepage. All right, we're back, and you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. Dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment, asking the tough questions. Is what we're hearing, seeing, going on in American Christianity or Christianity around the world, is is that Christianity, or is it something else? And that's, that's the other thing, is, you know, um, you know, I hate to bring up like old categories like this because it'll show my age, but uh, you ever remember hearing sermons about being worldly? Okay, um, you know where's where's a Christian culture? Y- you you understand what I'm saying? Where's our Christian culture? Why is it that I have to be a hy- a hyphenated Christian? Okay, think about it. Okay, um, in America we bemoan the fact that we've kind of lost co- uh, this concept of the melting pot. Okay, and and so we've got African Americans, we got Asian Americans, we got White Americans, we got um, name you know name the hyphen. We got Latin Latin, uh, Latin Americans. Okay, uh, and w- w- what's happened is is that it just seems like our culture continually di- continues to be divided and divided and divided and divided 
based upon all these different, you know, hyphenated distinctions. Well, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, the Christian church really should be a melting pot. I'm not a cowboy Christian. I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not a fat Christian, although I'm fat. Okay. Why are we having all of these hyphenated, you know, versions of Christianity? Um, hip hop Christianity, uh, reggae Christianity, cowboy Christianity. What about just Christianity? Where's the Christian? Where's the Christian culture? Aren't isn't Christianity supposed to be countercultural? Why is it that we're adopting all of these subcultures and Christianizing them? It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, I just ask these questions, and uh, if you have any answers, send me uh, send me your answers at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. I want to remind you that for the month of uh, January, now I know if you're listening to this later than January, going, well, I missed out. No, you didn't. Um, we have a featured ebook that we would like you to strongly consider reading, purchasing, getting. And the great news is, is that it's a bargain. As an ebook, you know, you don't. We don't have to pay for like the big publishing costs. We don't have to pay for the paper. We don't have to pay for the binding. We don't have to pay for the shipping and handling. It's available. You you go on to piratechristianradio.com, click on the logo for Christianity and Liberalism by Jay Gresham Mason. We have laid this out for you in an electronic ebook format in PDF that you can highlight, that you can make comments on. And it, it is a book that you need to read, especially considering today's emergent church and neoliberals that have come around and are basically undermining the authority of Scripture. Uh, you have a resurgence in the social a resurgence in the social gospel, a Christless social gospel of all things, a redefinition of what Christ did on the cross. Christ wasn't dying for you as your substitute, according to the emergence. No, he was just demonstrating how unjust the imperial system is. You know, so that you'll defect from the imperialism and uh, and I don't know what. <laughs> Unbuckle yourself from the global suicide machine and, and, and uh, follow God in the way of Jesus, whatever those terms mean. So um, Christianity and Liberalism by Jay Gresham Mason. Go to piratechristianradio.com. And uh, it's if it's the month of January still. You can find it on the homepage. If not, click on our store and you should be able to find it in our store. And it's only $5.95. A bargain. Bargain. Absolute bargain. And it's a must read. And it's as relevant today as when it was written. Why? Truth doesn't change, does it? No. No. And what's funny is is that this the pernicious errors that are coming around in today's Christianity are the same pernicious errors that have been we've been around the track with these errors before. And so the funny thing is is that because so many Christians have have lost sight of uh, Christian history and what's ha- what's happened in the long term in Christianity. By the way, Christianity did not start the day that you became a Christian. I know this is hard to believe. I I know it's impossible to think that there were actually Christians before you became a Christian and that those people had something to contribute to the body of Christ in their time and era. But it's true. It's true. So absolutely a must-read book, and uh, I really strongly encourage you to get it. Okay, moving along, I've just I've made a decision. We're going to go with Marcus Borg first. Okay, and I didn't flip a coin. <laughs> okay, because uh, it might not have a tails; it only has heads and heads. Oh, like uh, like that movie Dark Knight. You know, you know what I'm talking about? That guy that had the he had the never mind. <sighs> yeah, it, that, that was an interesting movie, by the way. I, I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about playing a sermon review on the Dark Knight, you know, because it's so popular, and I, you know, Rosebro has to be relevant. All right, here we go. Um, so uh, I bring up Marcus Borg here because if you remember, 
Earlier in the week, I read an article that I'm writing for the Pirate Christian Radio Journal, which we're getting ready to release any second now. And um, the name of the article is The Greatest Expert on, on the Scriptures Who Ever Lived and His View of the Bible. And the basic gist of the argument is, is that uh, there's a lot of people out there attacking the Scriptures and undermining it and trying to make it into something, make it something far less than the Word of God. And uh, before we do that, we need to take a look at uh, Jesus Christ and his view of the scriptures because he was none other than God in human flesh, and he proved it by raising himself from the dead. And Jesus actually had some opinions about the scriptures, and I document the fact that Jesus actually believed that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were real people, that Jonah was really in the belly of the fish for three days, that Noah, the ark, and the worldwide flood were real, all of this stuff. And uh, as a result of it, I mean, we, you know, if you're going to call yourself a Christ follower, you really want to take a hard look at what Jesus said, you know, regarding the scriptures. But here is, um, here is a gentleman by the name of Marcus Borg, for lack of a better way of putting it, we'll just describe him as a liberal, okay? And uh, there are people in the emergent church that uh, are impressed with Marcus Borg and his opinions and his ideas and uh, have adopted them as their own and passed them along in their writings. And uh, I want you to hear what this guy has to say about God's word, because uh, when we compare that to Jesus's opinion, I think you'll see that there's um, a huge difference. And it's it's really shocking when you actually hear somebody say these things. So here we go. Here's Marcus Borg talking about the scriptures. Reclaiming the Bible as a vital resource in the life of congregations and in the life of Christian individuals is one of the most important tasks for mainline congregations today. And that's because many of us in the mainline grew up with an understanding of the Bible that stopped making sense to us at some point. And this understanding that stopped making sense to many of us is a literalistic understanding either in hard form or soft form. Now, the hard form of biblical literalism is the insistence that everything the Bible says is the absolute will of God, and that if it says something happened, then that thing really happened. So it's very much concerned with factuality as well. Okay, so stop right there. Um, so he's, you know, he grew up with an understanding of Scripture that he grew out of. Okay, and uh, and he he's not into literalism, and one of the you know, he thinks that literalism is a bad thing, especially if you're concerned with the factuality of the stories in the scripture. Was Jesus concerned about the fact? Well, I mean, Jesus said that uh, just as Jonah was in the in the great fish for three days, so I'll, yeah, yeah, he tied his resurrection to that story as if it was real, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, "God is the God of the living, not the dead." And he said those guys were real. Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel. Right. Jesus actually believed all that stuff as if it was factual. And, and Sodom and Gomorrah, he said that Sodom would have been around to that day if they had repented. <laughs> right. Right. So apparently Jesus was into the factuality thing. OK, so I'm finding a huge difference here uh, between Marcus Borg, uh, superstar in liberal circles and Jesus Christ. Well, let's continue. And at some point for most of us in mainline churches, that understanding of the Bible that we acquired as children simply stopped being persuasive to us. Shorthand for that understanding of the Bible, of course, is biblical literalism. And again, it exists in both harder and softer forms. So one of the main tasks for congregations today is to do adult theological re-education about the Bible. 
And this will concern, above all, the three questions of the Bible's origin, its authority, and its interpretation. For an earlier way of looking at the Bible, um, basically the foundation of literalism in harder or softer terms, the Bible is seen as a divine product. The hard form of that is because it comes from God, it is therefore inerrant or infallible. The softer form simply says the Holy Spirit guided it in such a way that there are no serious mistakes in it. And that leads to an understanding of the Bible's authority, because the Bible comes from God as no other book does. That's why it has authority. And then finally, for this earlier view, the Bible is read literally, again, in harder or softer. It's going to stop there. Um, hmm. uh, do you think God had anything to do with the Bible? Definitely. Um you know, he he's basically speaking about those who would think such things as if they're kind of neophytes, right? Um, all scripture. Here we go. Okay, Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. The apostle Paul writing, and by the way, um, no significant changes from our earliest manuscripts to our you know what we have now regarding what Paul wrote here. Paul said. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Right? Okay. So what does scripture say about itself? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, um, actually is a witness to Christ's resurrection, kind of unnaturally, a little bit different than the rest of the apostles, but he is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he even learned his doctrine directly from Jesus Christ. Did you know that? It says that. Paul says that. Okay. And Paul ha says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So who are you going to believe? Uh, Marcus Borg, or are you going to believe the Apostle Paul? I'd go with B. You're going to go with B? You know, you know what your problem is, is that um, uh, you, you're just closed-minded. You know, that, that's your problem with you. It's, you're old-fashioned and you're closed-minded, and how could you possibly believe that the Bible is, you know, anyway. Okay, listen, listen to Peter, by the way. The Apostle Peter, this is from First Peter chapter 1. Okay. Peter writes, no prophecy, this is verse 20, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, that's a interesting way of putting it, don't you think? Okay, so you think uh, the Apostle Peter thought that uh, the Holy Spirit had something to do with in inspiring and guiding God's Word into coming into being? I'd say Pete's got it right. Yeah, <laughs> Pete. <laughs> um, oh, you know, what? do you remember what Pastor Hodel called the Apostle Peter that one sermon? No. This is a couple of years ago. Um, Peter's name is what? Peter Bar-Jonah? Okay, Peter, son of John. Okay, that's his name. But Peter's name means rock. And so Pastor Hodel was calling him Rocky Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And no, it actually made it wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to be silly in the sermon. It actually worked out really well in the sermon. But you know, Rocky Johnson, it's a Peter, never mind. So well, Peter, um, he seems to believe that the Holy Spirit had something to say about the inspiration of Scripture. 
So uh, what, what's Marcus Borg's beef here? Let's continue. Forms. The hard form would lead. Let me back it up again. It's a little bit, you know, it's a YouTube video, so it's not very precise. Leads to an understanding of the Bible's authority because the Bible comes from God as no other book does. That's why it has authority. And then finally, for this earlier view, the Bible is read literally again in harder or softer forms. The hard form would lead to. Um, arguing against evolution, for example, because evolution conflicts with the biblical account of creation. Uh, it does. Let's see. God created or random chance caused natural selection to evolve. <clears throat> Two completely different ideas, and they're not compatible. And by the way, there's a lot of people, who, the scientists, who are defecting from Darwinism. A lot of them. Because it's just not supported evidentially at all. But that's a different story. The softer form can accept evolution, all right, but would still insist that the most spectacular things in the Bible really happen pretty much as they are described. Now, the alternative to that way of seeing the Bible, which I think is what congregations need re-education about, Okay, Marcus Borg is calling for congregational re-education about the Bible. Okay, did you catch that part about the fantastic events happening as they they were described? You know, like the parting of the Red Sea, Jesus rising from the dead, healing the blind, you know, stuff like that. You know, we, miracles. <laughs> we're too smart for that, Martin. Yeah. Is the way of seeing the Bible that's been emerging for the last couple hundred years in mainline biblical scholarship. Oh, okay. So uh, we're going to reject what Christianity has taught about the scriptures for its entire existence. All 2,000 years of Christian history, and going back even farther, going back even into Judaism and their extremely high view of scripture. We're going to reject that, and we're going to ad instead adopt a view that has been m emerging and developing over the last two hundred years. We're going to we're going to adopt the Johnny Come Lately, you know, version of uh, viewing the scriptures. Right? I'm sorry, but a two hundred year old concept—that's just a newbie. Okay, and truth doesn't change, does it? No. no. Are you sure? Two plus two. Tomorrow it could be five. <laughs> you know, when I was interviewing Doug Paget. He actually said that new math was kinder and gentler math. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to have politically correct math now. Okay, we continue. In fact, it's taught in basically all seminaries of the mainline churches. And this way of seeing the Bible sees the Bible as a human product, not as a divine product. It's the product of two ancient communities, the Jewish Bible, the Christian Old Testament, is, of course, the product of ancient Israel. And the New Testament is the product of the early Christian movement. And as the product of these two... You know, Jesus actually calls the Torah and the prophets the word of God. And he says that he sent the prophets and that the prophets spoke by his command, right? Remember all, you know, those, those Old Testament prophets that, what would they say, thus saith the Lord? Does he consider himself a Christian? Oh yeah, this, this of course. It's the what he didn't like Christianity that he grew up with, with all those hard prickly edges and all those really exclusive claims and stuff. So he's adopted the the two hundred year old emerging view of Scripture that it's not really God didn't say that. It's a human product. Ancient communities 
it tells us not what God thinks, but what these early ancient communities thought. Tells us about their stories about God, about what they thought God was like, about what they thought life with God involved. And as the product of our spiritual ancestors, it's extraordinarily valuable to us. It puts us in touch with... Oh, it's valuable. See... See, they, see, they have such a high view of scripture. It's not, it's not a, it's not a God product. It's a man-made product, and but it's very valuable to us. Really, <laughs> I can, ha I have a couple of choices here. I can have the man-made product called the Bible, or I can have the inspired Word of God. One is of divine origin, of divine inspiration, directly God's communication to us, revelation ab about himself to us, and we can actually know something with certainty about what God is like because he has told us what he's like, right? Or we're just going to basically say, now listen, this is very valuable to us. It's, I mean, we really, really value the Bible. It sounds more like deism. Yeah. We, we value, but it's just a man-made product. And what is, what's going on here? You know, when you get behind all of this, it's a complete denial of, of the miraculous. Okay? What's the point in believing in a God who is not capable of doing anything? He's not capable of inspiring anybody. He's not capable of speaking. He's not capable of performing a miracles. I mean, th this God that they believe in, I'm absolutely convinced it's a four foot nine tall, 87 pound nerd, okay, who lives over on a on a, on some planet with a on a tiny little island that he's accidentally got himself trapped on, and he can't figure out how to get off of it. You know, he this is a completely powerless god. <laughs> what is the de what is the deity that they worship? I mean. I like to take their god out and uh, rough them up a little bit. It'd be fun. Yeah. Anyway, let's continue with Marcus Borg. With their perception, with their experience, uh, also puts us in touch with their limitations and with their partial vision and so forth. So uh, it's not an uh, unambiguous treasure, but it is a treasure in earthen vessels. And it that sounds so pious, doesn't it? We we really value it, and it is a treasure. We think it's a treasure, but it's fool's gold. It's you know in earthen vessels. There's no real godly stuff in there. You know, let's go back with the apostle Peter. First um, Peter chapter four. Okay, now if you got your Bibles, First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter four, and um, let's see. Okay, all right. And remember our three rules, context, context, context. First uh, Peter chapter four, starting at verse seven, the apostle Peter, who, by the way, spent three years with Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Okay. Actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, witnessed Jesus's miracles. Okay. Had meals with Jesus was you know, all of that stuff. He was there with Jesus. Okay, so I who are you going to take? Are you going to take Marcus Borg or are you going to take the Apostle Peter? I think I'll go with the guy that hung out with him for three years. Okay, right. I, I just, I, I guarantee you that uh, that 
the God that Marcus Borg is describing the and the Jesus, the subsequent Jesus that would come out of this is completely foreign to the to the Jesus that Peter hung out with. But here, here, listen to what Peter says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since uh, since love conquers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift to use to serve one another as good stewards of God's uh, varied grace. Whoever speaks is uh, as one who speaks oracles of God. So if you're going to speak, speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory, the dominion forever and ever. So if you're going to speak in the church, um, speak as one who is actually handling the very oracles of God. Uh, uh, Marcus Borg, uh, we would have to rewrite this. If this was the uh, first Marcus epistle, it would be something like, and, and when you speak, speak as one who handles the very oracles of man. But a very rich treasure it is, though. It, these these oracles of men are very... We really value them very, very highly. Really, 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 really... We really have a high view. Uh, they're so valuable to us. They're a treasure. Right? <clears throat> its authority for this earlier view is that our spiritual ancestors at some point declared these documents to be authoritative, to be scripture. This is the process of canonization. And thus, our spiritual ancestors were saying, to be part of this tradition means to accept these documents as the most important documents we know. And to live within... See, that sounds important, doesn't it? These are just the most important documents. There could be others, you know, because God can, you know... We just need to go and find where God is working in other cultures and other religions and and we could you know slippery 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 in the world created by these stories by this vision the bible for this view is the christian identity document it's the christian foundational document and then finally it's interpretation um this emerging view emphasizes what I call in shorthand a historical hyphen metaphorical interpretation of the Bible. <laughs> historical metaphorical interpretation. Listen, that, that that whole parting of the Red Sea thing, that was just metaphorical. It was a metaphor, you know, for God, you know, you can find the strength within yourself to to overcome the troubles in your life by moving forward, even in the face of adversity. See, that's what it's really about. <laughs> Jesus on the Jesus's death on the cross metaphor, not it didn't no, And he didn't really rise from the dead. That was Jesus showing you how you can overcome adversities, even as dark as death. Just got to have faith. Hey. <sighs> Historical means something very simple, even though working it out can be detailed and complex. Historical means we ask the question, what did these texts mean in their ancient context? And that can be powerfully illuminating. Rather than, than they actually are historical events, you know, the, the four Gospels, those are not historical biographies, but what did they mean in their historical context? Who cares if, if Jesus actually rose from the dead? This, these, are, these are very important documents. 
We value them highly. They're a treasure and they're foundational. But the, the, it doesn't matter if Jesus actually rose from the dead. What really matters is metaphorically and that you know what did they mean in their original context? Double speak. Both of their power to shape lives today as well as of their limitations. And a metaphorical approach asks what is the more than literal, the more than factual? The more than literal? The more there's something more than literal and more than factual in the scripture? we're called to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Can anyone tell me what the metaphor, what is more than metaphor? What is more? Okay. We can't take it literally. We can't really go and call people to, for, to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what's the more than literal understanding of, uh, go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. What would that, the more than this is gobbledygook. You know what's funny about this? The words that they use. We're looking for the more than literal. I mean, it sounds so deep, right? Okay. You notice how you know in Oregon and places like that that have those uh, that that have those assisted suicide laws. Okay. You don't go to death clinics to die. You go to a life clinic, right? Okay. Um, you're not if you're pro-abortion. You're not pro-abortion. You're pro-choice. You see, we, we we're about choices. We, we we this isn't about abortion. This is about your choice. You, you see what I'm saying? Why is it that these guys that uh, you know, the, Satan is just the master deceiver, man? He's he's going to give you basically a a bowl of dog poop, and he's going to put whipped cream on it and say, "See, I've just enhanced this dog poop with the whipped cream." Yeah, yummy. <sighs> <laughs> this is spiritual dog poop. <laughs> Why would you exchange the truth for a lie? <sighs> Meaning of these stories. And it's always been the more than literal, the more than factual meaning of these stories that had mattered most. I sometimes speak of this as the parabolic meaning of Scripture. We all know that parables, the parables of Jesus, aren't factually true. I don't know any Christian who would argue that the parable of the prodigal son had to happen. Okay, right. We're with you. Obviously, the parables are stories to tell us something about a truth about the kingdom of God. But if you make the entire Bible parable, then you've got parables within parables. Is the whole Bible parable? Apparently. We don't want to get caught up in those factual things. We need to find the more than historic, the more, the more than literal. Otherwise, it's not worth paying attention to. But we all recognize that those stories are truthful in the sense of being truth-filled. So also to read the... So truthiness. Praise the Lord, we have truthiness in the Bible. Bible, within a historical, metaphorical framework, is to recognize that the Bible is full of parabolic, truth-filled stories, stories that are told because of their surplus of meaning. They're true because of their surplus of meaning. They're not really true. Okay, we don't want to. Oh, no. no. Don't believe that it's actually a product of the Holy Spirit. Don't actually believe that these things really happen the way Jesus believed. But instead, what we want you to do is understand that they're truth-filled and they're they're important. And it's a treasury for us. But there's no... Hi, hi, hi. 
So communicating that vision of the Bible to our congregation so they can reclaim it is vitally important. I think one of the shortcomings of um, much of the mainline church over the last half century has been that we have virtually abandoned the Bible to our more conservative Christian brothers and sisters. And we've abandoned it. Because yeah, that's because if you actually read the thing. <laughs> okay, I just want to point something out here. Okay, this is this is designed to get you back into the scriptures, but make it so that when you read a passage of scripture that absolutely challenges you, rocks you to your core, and you realize that you're a sinner, that you can go, ah, ah, ah. wait a second, I need to find the bigger truth in this, the more than truth, the more than literal in this. <laughs> the Bible is a dangerous book. It really is. But, I mean, so why have these mainline liberals abandoned the Bible? Because it constantly contradicts them, and they have to explain why. You know, it's like, it's like that, that homosexual that I'm debating at a littleleaven.com who say, says that he's a Christian and that God made him gay. No, God did not make you gay. And basically this kid believes, or this person, believes that every passage of Scripture that condemns homosexuality, that it can be explained away. Well, can't everything? <laughs> Apparently. But I mean, isn't rationalization great? <laughs> <laughs> it's like sticking your head in, in, in the sands of reality. Because oh, we can't take it literally anymore. But we haven't had a persuasive, compelling, and powerful alternative to put in its place. And I think <laughs> the Bible continues to be the primary means whereby God still speaks to us today. Now, as an Episcopalian, an Anglican myself, I would say God speaks not simply or only through the Bible. God also speaks through reason, through um, the Christian tradition more fully understood. How about through Todd Bentley and, God, and Patricia King? Does God speak through them? Good. And through experience. Oh, okay. And so all of these together are ways that God still speaks to us. But what distinguishes a Christian understanding of God speaking is that a Christian understanding takes very seriously the Bible and, above all, the figure and person of Jesus as the primary ancient disclosure of the character and passion of God. Wow, that was some semantic gymnastics to get around Jesus actually being the one true God in human flesh because you couldn't say that because that would mean that God is behind the Bible. Oh, man. And sadly, you know what's funny is, is that this view is running rampant now with the emergence. They're making this view really popular. It's it's a resurgence in liberalism. And, uh, folks, if this is your view of, of the scripture, you're, you're, you've been... If your pastor is teaching you this, you have been ripped off. You need to get a refund on your tithe immediately and go find a church that actually preaches and teaches God's word. Yeah. I substitute reality? Yeah, I, su yeah, I, I substitute your reality. I, I reject your reality and substitute my own. Good night. I mean, it's it's not hard to see it once you see it anyway. He's looking for something else besides the Bible. He's, he's yeah, waiting for it. We haven't found an exactly the best thing to, to, to figure because that Bible is so perniciously against us maybe he should use the book of mormon <laughs> why not what well it could have truths in there it, it, it could be truthy 
<laughs> if you can find the more than never oh. mind. All right, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we'll continue with John Shelby Spong here on Liberal Friday at FightingForTheFaith.com. If you would like to email me uh, regarding anything you've heard so far, you can do so at TalkBack at FightingForTheFaith.com. Give me a cowboy church over that, man. But you know what, though? It could be just as bad. I get the feeling I'm, if when I start doing sermon reviews from cowboy churches, it may not be that much better. We'll be right back. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right, here, we're back, and you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, I feel like i got to go take a shower after listening to that. I feel gross. It's only going to get worse. It gets John Shelby Spong next. It's, it's Liberal Friday, I guess, here. You, you know what? The, here's the deal. This is what we are facing. And believe me when I tell you, the emergence, Tony Jones, Doug Padgett, Brian McLaren and the gang, they have a lot more in common with Marcus Borg than they do with somebody like John MacArthur or Reverend Swirla or even Todd Wilkin from Issues, etc. I mean, that, I mean, Mark... Oh. Just so frustrating. You know, so you're basically being given a wooden nickel and told, listen, this is valuable. It's it's really, really, you know, it, it we treasure this, <laughs> you, know, you know, but it's a wooden nickel. You know, how does the story go about the uh, emperor's new clothes? You know, he, he's naked. Okay. 
I'm sorry, uh, John Shelby Spong, as wonderful as and as treasureful and and important and 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 what a great high view you have of Scripture. You're you. This is there is you are stark naked and sitting there trying to tell us that you're actually wearing clothes. You're not. Hi yeah 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 yeah. So how do we get around this? How do we? What's the solution to this? It is take a look at Jesus's view of the scriptures. Did Jesus believe that God, that the Bible, that God had something to do with the Bible, that it was God's word? Did Jesus believe the stories were actual and literal and true? The answer is yes, all the way down the line. There is not one thing you can point to in Jesus' view of the scripture that would say, oh, wait, well, that was a truthy view. You know, we held in high regard or the historical metaphorical view. Oh, man. I mean, you might as well just be reading fortune cookies, right? It doesn't. Or theologians for your noggins, right? And, and see, here's the deal. What your view of scripture is, is going to dictate your theology. And the liberals, obviously, there's no gospel there because it's just about making your life better. But the funny thing is, is that the purpose-driven preachers, they have a lot more in common with these liberal guys than they would than they know. They could say, well, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah, the problem is, is you don't preach the Bible as if it's really important. You strip mine it for quotes you know, and principles in order to make your life better. But you don't need an inspired word for that. You don't need God actually being the author of the word for that. If all you're doing is strip mining the scripture for fortune cookies, you know, for fortune cookie sayings and principles to make your life better and things that you can apply so that you can get past the latest and greatest difficulty of your life, um, then you, why does it have to be inspired? Uh, why couldn't we get it from the Bahadva Gita? I mean, if, if truth is true, I mean, then we should be able to just get it from anywhere and, and preach it in, you know, in church, right? The Bahadva Gita. Not not the fajita. N- yeah, the, not not the chicken fajita. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving along um, here on Liberal Friday, because why I just love the liberals. <clears throat> These are the, this is the reason. <laughs> this is the reason why my son was afraid that there were liberals under his bed. <laughs> it was giant fans for my kids. It, well, yeah, it was <laughs> no, giant fans. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because you're a Dodger guy. That's right. All right. Okay, so here's um, Bishop John, he retired Bishop John Shelby Spong, making the claim that hell is the, an invention of the church. Now listen to this. Yeah. I don't think hell exists. I happen to believe in life after death, but I don't think it's got a thing to do with reward and punishment. Religion is always in the... <laughs> Immediately, my question is, why was this man not excommunicated? I mean, why was he not defrocked and run out on a rail? This is why sound doctrine is important, folks, um, because John Shelby Spong has been a feature in the uh, Episcopal Church, I think Episcopal Church, for a long time. And uh, I think the, there were people who uh, he he looks he he looks about as old as Noah. So I, I think by the time he was going off, there were probably still some people in that uh, held to the truth in Anglicanism. There still are today. You know, they're the ones who are defecting from uh, uh, from Catherine Jefferts Shorey. 
And, you know, they they had a setback this week, though. California Supreme Court ruled they can't have their prop. They can't take the property with them if they're going to defect from the church. So the Episcopal Church gets to keep the church property. They got to go worship somewhere else. Anyway, uh, so here's John Shelby Spong. And I'll, I'll just use my Rick Warren quote here. Who cares what you think? <laughs> Are you the decider of these things? You know, yeah. The control business. Uh, and I gotta back this up because you gotta hear this. I don't think hell exists. I happen to believe in life after death, but I don't think it's got a thing to do with reward and punishment. Religion is always in the control business, uh, and that's something people don't really understand. So religion is in the control business. Religion is in the control business. I don't think I agree with that. I, I believe there are some religions that are very controlling, law, legalistic religions, uh, even legalistic denominations or legalistic pastors that are very controlling. But I don't think Christianity is really designed to be about control. It's about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and repentance. Right? Okay. Um, and it doesn't do it at the edge of a sword. Where there's guilt involved, it has to do with guilt over your sin. You got to know that you're a sinner in need of a savior. You won't want a savior if you don't really understand that you're a sinner. But let's see what Spong says here. It's it's in the guilt-producing control business, and if you have heaven as a place where you're rewarded for your goodness, and hell as a place where you're punished for your evil. Stop. For your goodness. Oh, heaven is a reward for your goodness. Well, then ain't nobody in heaven. No. <laughs> Not one person. Folks, heaven is not a reward for your goodness. I figured out who his God is. Who is him? Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Oh, f be good for goodness sake. That's right. That's right. Okay. No, heaven is not a reward for your goodness. Heaven is given as a gift because of Christ's goodness, which is given to you as a gift. Right? We are, we are to seek the righteousness of Christ. God reckons us righteous, declares us righteous in Christ. We are justified by faith. Uh, well, see, he doesn't. Un he's obviously rejected that long ago, and just goes with the basic idea: hell is for good people, and I mean bad people, and uh, heaven is for good people. The problem is there ain't nobody good except for one, Jesus. So it's gonna he's gonna be by himself up there, man. I guess he's not a sinner either. Well, Jesus. Oh, you mean Shelby Spawn? Yes. Let's let's listen. Then you sort of have control of the population. And so they create this fiery place, which has quite literally scared the hell out of a lot of people. throughout. So the church has created the fiery place. The church did. Did you know that? I guess it's not from Scripture. Apparently not. Uh, but, but remember, um, what, you know, what is the Bible, according to, to uh, our good friend Marcus Borg? It's just a man-made product, right? Uh, no, it's not. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, proved it by raising himself from the dead three days after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate on the cross for your sins, by the way, and mine. The, the God in human flesh said this, uh, Matthew 25, talking about the uh, the judgment, okay, he, the, the whole sheep and the goats thing. Um, you know what? I should read this. I should read the whole thing. Please do. All right. Matthew 25, okay, because there's some pertinent stuff in here. This is the sheep of the goats. Um, okay. All right. 
Uh, right. Okay. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Who's the Son of Man? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus refers to himself, by the way, as the Son of Man. So he's kind of talking himself about himself in third person here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations... He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Okay, how were they separated, by the way? By their kind, by what they are. Not what they did, what they are. Sheep over here, goats over there. Okay? By the way, Christ is the only one who can transform somebody from a goat into a sheep. You can't do that by your... You can't even do it with... You can't do it at all. <laughs> I was trying to think, what's the right way of saying this? No, you can't do that. Okay. Um, so, and how does he transform us into from a goat into a sheep? Through the proclamation of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. So he will place, uh, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, duh, because we have, you know, we are good people, and we have to be saved by our works. No, I'm kidding. That's not what they said. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, uh, Lord, when do we see you hungry uh, and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Well, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my dear brothers, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, okay, the goats, Depart from me, cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Did the church invent that or or did Jesus say that? That was Christ Jesus. Yeah, that was Christ Jesus saying that. Okay. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, well, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Notice the parallel there. Okay. So uh, the righteous, okay, so the righteous go to eternal life and uh, the goats, they go away to eternal punishment. So the question on the table real quick is, uh, how do you get into that righteous group? (laughs) Well, here's the good news. Um, Christ died for your sins. Repent of your evil, your sin, and trust this good news. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be given Christ's righteousness as if you're the one who lived it. God will see you as perfectly righteous for the sake of Christ. Now, if you want to try to get on your own righteousness, rather than Christ's, good luck. Because you have to keep God's law perfectly. 
from the moment you were conceived to the moment you draw your last breath. Anyway, so uh, do you think Jesus believed in eternal punishment? Trick question here. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to go with that? Yeah. Okay, so John Shelby Spong said that the church invented hell, and funny enough, all of the earliest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Matthew include this passage. In fact, um, textually, um, there's no flag on the play. Okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my uh, Nestle Allen Greek New Testament, and there's nothing flagging this. There's no footnote or nothing saying, oh, wait a second, this doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. This just kind of crept in. Uh, you can't trust that this is there. So none of that. Right? <laughs> but um, let's see here. Eternal. I, I owe neon punishment. Call us sin. Okay. So eternal. basically this is punishment eternal. That's what it is. It's punishment eternal. You don't like it? Take it up with Jesus. Okay. But it's not, it's not the church that invented this. It is Christ Jesus who taught this. Okay. Okay. Let me let me read another passage. John chapter five. John chapter five. The the relevant passage is in verse twenty nine, but we always do context. Jesus, verse twenty five says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live." For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to also to have life in Himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And what is it to do good? To believe in Jesus Christ. Um, And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Well, that sounds fun, doesn't it? (laughs) No, this whole lake of fire thing is just, it's bad news, folks. Um, And it wasn't the church that invented it. It was, Christ taught it. (sighs) Well, let's continue with Shelby Spong here. Christian history. Mm -hmm. And it's part of a control tactic. But wait a minute, you're saying that hell, the idea of a place under the earth or somewhere where you're tormented for an eternity, is actually an invention of the church? I think the church fired its furnaces hotter than anybody else. But I think there's a sense in most religious life of of reward and punishment in some form. The church doesn't like for people to grow up because you can't control grown-ups. That's why we talk about being born again. When you're born again, you're still a child. Oh, okay. So born born again is you're going to just stay a baby, right? I don't know any evangelicals that talk about being born again as some kind of a perpetual state of infantude. Although I know a lot of churches, because of the shallowness of their preaching, keep all of their people in infantude, if that. Um, okay. The people don't need to be born again. They need to grow up. They need to accept their responsibility for themselves and the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. People don't need to be born again? People don't need to be born again? Ay, ay, ay. Um, hang on a second here. Born? I spell it the uh, the uh, Swedish way. B- Bjorn again? <laughs> born again. Hang on a second here. You know, just flag on the play. Just gotta um, gotta go with what Jesus said here. Uh, John Shelby Spong said that people don't need to be born again; they need to grow up, right? Um, Jesus. Uh, well, let me read this in context. Let me grab some context here. We'll add three verses. Here we go. 
Now, uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And he answered him, well, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a, that sounds conditional, doesn't okay. it? Now, where is that at, Chris? Uh, that's John chapter 3, verse 3. So Jesus Christ saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And contrast that with what John Shelby Spong just said. Um, Can't control grown-ups. That's why we talk about being born again. When you're born again, you're still a child. The people don't need to be born again. They need to grow up. They need to accept their responsibility for themselves in the world. What you- so, okay, so Jesus says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. And John Shelley Spong says, you don't need to be born again. Uh, coming back to who you're going to believe here. All right. If you're going to believe John Shelby Spong, I'd like to know why. Okay. I, my authority is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and since he was actually God in human flesh proved it by raising himself from the dead three days after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate for your sins, by the way. Um, I, I trust him. I don't believe John Shelby Spong. Um, last time he's getting old. I bet he's going to crump soon and it, he won't be coming back. And, and boy, I, I'd hate to wager on what his, where he's going to be divided. You think sheep or goat on him? Uh, <sighs> you make of the theology, which, uh, is pretty quite prominent these days in America, which is that there is one guaranteed way not to go to hell. And that is to accept Jesus as your personal savior. Yeah. I grew up in that tradition. Uh, every church I know claims that we are the true church, and they have some ultimate authority. We have the infallible pope. We have the inerrant Bible. <laughs> See, we got a paper pope in the Bible. Did you know that? You know, we got some infallible authority. Yeah, the Bible. The idea that the truth of God can be bound in any human system, by any human creed, by any human book, is almost beyond imagination. For me. Now we're going to stop here for a second. Okay, did you hear what he said? He says that everybody believes that their their way is true. Okay, and you got either an infallible pope, you've got an infallible Bible. But what he didn't name was his infallible opinions. Okay, this is what we call a self-refuting philosophy here. He's attacking infallible Bibles and infallible popes, and yet he's pontificating and telling us that this idea that you can know the truth about God is ludicrous. Well, yet he's expounding a truth supposedly about God. And the truth that he's expounding is the truth that you can't really know everything about God or you can't know anything with certainty about God, but that is a certain truth. You see the tricky stuff that's going on here? Let me play it again so you can kind of see the sleight of hand. It's like watching a pee game. You ever been? You, know, you ever lost some money while you were at, downtown in a city you know, with some guy with a shell and pee game? By the way, don't ever do that. Those guys, will, they'll, they'll scam you. So let, let's hear this again. Guaranteed way not to go to hell. And that is to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Yeah, I grew up in that tradition. Uh, every church I know claims that we are the true church. And they have some ultimate authority. We have the infallible Pope. We have the inerrant Bible. The idea that the truth of God can be bound in any human system by... Apparently, we have the infallible Shelby Spong. See, that's what's going on here. See, that's what's... That's, okay. One of the, what, how do they do this in Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same, right? 
Okay. Okay. So here's the deal is that in this particular case, all of these things that he's listing are, are the same. Okay. You have to have an authority of some kind. Okay. And so he's attacked the authority of the inerrant scripture. He's attacked the authority of the Pope, which that doesn't bother me a bit, but I do have a problem with him attacking the authority of scripture, but he's then turning around and he's speaking authoritatively, right? So who's the authority here during this interview? John Shelby Spong and his personal opinions, his theologizing ego, right? Yeah. But it's another authority. He just doesn't name it as an authority. Slippery, slippery, slippery. We continue. Any human creed by any human book is almost beyond imagination for me. I mean, God is not a Christian. God is not a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. By what authority are you saying such things, John? His, by his own authority, isn't he? He's his own authority here. He just said God isn't a Christian. Well, I would basically say, okay, prove it. How do you know he's not? He says God is not a Muslim. Okay, great. Well, how do you know that? He just said we can't, it's ludicrous for you to think that you can know about God, right? And, you know, and yet he's sitting here making definitive truth claims and statements about God that he believes are true and that we should believe. Liberalism is self-defeating, always self-defeating. All of those are human systems which human beings have created to try to help us walk into the mystery of God. And now, everything he's saying is part of a, a constructed human system that he's created in his own mind, right? To help you understand the mystery of God. Because he's speaking authoritatively about God. But he's not speaking from what the Bible says. This is just John Shelby Spong's personal enlightenment. I honor my tradition. I walk through my tradition. But I don't believe my tradition defines God. I think it only points me to God. You and I are emerging people, not fallen people. <laughs> We're emerging people, not fallen people. Wow. That's not what the Bible says at all. Not at all. All. Let me read a fun passage of scripture here because why? Again, who's going to be your authority? Who are you going to believe? So you can come up with chapter and verse here. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Just yeah. checking. Um, let's see. Oh, wait. I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> well, I, oh, I always like going to Ephesians chapter two because it's pretty straightforward. Okay. We'll read, we'll read a little bit of this. As for you, you were dead in trespasses and sin, sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived uh, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature uh, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, okay, just just a simple logical question. The scriptures say that when God originally created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image, Right. And now our state is that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. Do you think that there's some kind of a lowering of the standard here? Maybe there's a fall involved. Just, just, just I think that there's that those two are not synonymous. And I don't think that the current state of humanity really reflects that image of God very well. If we're by nature objects of wrath and sinners. Um, but then we got Romans. Romans three is always very good. Um, Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 9. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. If we've already uh, charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 
as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Uh, no one does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Uh, they use tongues, uh, their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, but their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. Uh, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm-hmm. So John Shelby Spong says that, all right, let's, let's, you notice that this is like, this is like an exercise in opposite day. (laughs) You know, uh, good is evil. Evil is good. White is black. Black is white. Up is down and down is up. Here we go. To the mystery of God. I honor my tradition. I walk through my tradition, but I don't believe my tradition defines God. I think it only points me to God. You and I are emerging people, not fallen people. Our problem is not that we are born in sin. Our problem is we do not yet know how to achieve being fully human. Wow. Can you believe that? (laughs) I just read the passages that make it very clear that we are born in sin. Whew. The function of the Christ is not to rescue the sinners, but to empower you and to call you to be more deeply and fully human. Wow. So (laughs) tell me that's not brazen. What did Christ die for? Uh, Our sins. But he says the function of the Christ wasn't to rescue sinners. Oh, wow. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You must have a really skinny Bible. <laughs> I think it's a pamphlet. <laughs> you know, he got a memo from God. <laughs> There's a couple of red letters on it. Uh, Paul, oh, man. Um, Paul writing, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the world that, word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, so um, l- let me play this, back this up and play this quote again because it's just oh so good. The problem is we do not yet. Hang on, I, I, yeah, YouTube, not very precise. Here we go. You and I are emerging people, not fallen people. Our problem is not that we are born in sin. Our problem is we do not yet know how to achieve being fully human. The function of the Christ is not to rescue the sinners, but to empower you and to call you to be more deeply and fully human. Uh, by the way, he's preaching in a church. Uh, you can see the, the altar right behind him, you know, where they're, you know, for communion. Wow. Um, Some other passages come to mind. Let's see here. Let me do this. Seek and save. Let's see if I can do... I don't think I have to get this from another translation. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Hang on a second. The Lost. Okay. Okay. Oh, man, I'm going to have to find this one. Okay, hang on a second. We're going to do this Google style. Seek and save the lost. Here we go, Luke 19. Here we go. 
Sorry about that. <clears throat> Computerized by I'm doing this free form today because this wow. Okay. Um Okay. Um, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Let me read this. Okay. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Believe me, if you were a tax collector, that was a good gig back then. You'd make a lot of money. The problem is, is that, uh, your, your fellow Israelites didn't like you because you were a thief. Where, where in Luke is that? Luke chapter 19. Uh, okay, so a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, rather than the chief uh, priest. He was the chief tax collector. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being short, a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up in, to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately so that you can achieve hum- yeah, full potential as a human. no that's not what it says Zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house today so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly and all the people saw this and began to mutter and grumble he has gone to be the guest of a sinner but Zacchaeus stood up and said said to the Lord look Lord here now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything I will pay them back four times the amount I think that counts as repentance, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Interesting. Okay, I've got another passage I want to read. Read this the other night. Um, Mark. Okay. Um, 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 Sick. Okay, let's see if I can find this. Uh, all right, here we go. Okay, um, Luke chapter two. I'm mean, sorry, Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. Okay. Okay. Another similar story. Once again, uh, verse thirteen. Uh, chapter two, verse three. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Another tax collector. Okay. Follow me, Jesus told. By the way, in that culture, tax collectors were only slightly better than dogs and prostitutes. And I do mean very barely. Um, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, we thought he was a holy guy, right? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but instead I've come to call sinners. Okay, so we got two passages there from the Gospels, from the eyewitness testimony, by the way. Okay, um, Luke records his Gospel by interviewing the eyewitnesses. Mark, his Gospel is more than likely the preaching notes of Peter. And there are many. There's a few scholars out there who think that that uh, Mark also was an eyewitness to these events. Okay, based upon the grammar that, that's going on there. So we've got uh, those two guys. You know, we got Mark and Luke basically, you know, making their claim about what. Um, 
about what Jesus said. And then we got John Shelby Spong making his claim. Let me back this up so we can hear John Shelby Spong. Um, so, I mean, right, right, just right off the bat, John, you, you think that there's a difference of opinion here? <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, and see, that's, a, okay, I'm waiting for this to load up. Okay, because that's the deal with liberalism, okay? It outright contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture over and over and over and over again from from within the church. And this is the stuff that's being taught to seminary students in these liberal seminaries. And we're basically, it's an exercise. We're going to teach you how to read the Bible so that you don't have to believe what it says. Well, who said they're reading the Bible? Well, <laughs> yeah. well, there's there has to be some. You see, well, what, what did Marcus Borg say? Maybe they're told to go home and think about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe they have burnings in their bosoms. How? You know, my my question for John Shelby Spong is: How does he know any of this? What authority? By what authority is he making these claims? And that's exactly what you need to ask me. Even Roseboro, what authority are you making these claims by? Well, I'm making them based upon the authority of Christ. I'm telling you what His Word says, and take a look at it. If you don't, if you don't like it, or if you think I'm I'm, do, I'm saying something wrong here, then show me from God's Word that what I said is wrong, right? Okay. But uh, Shelby Spong here, he's basically preached. I don't know where he got this stuff. Where Where do you get this? Okay, what happened to my audio? Here we go. Urging people, not fallen people. Our problem is not that we are born in sin. Our problem is we do not yet know how to achieve being fully human. The function... Okay, all right, great. Where does it say that? By what authority are you making this claim? His. It's his again. It's, this, is, this is a religion called Spongism. Right? Wouldn't that be the right way? This is liberal spongism. ...of the Christ is not to rescue the sinners. Despite the fact that Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost and that he came not for the well but for the sick, he came not for the righteous but for sinners, right? right. And the, the gospel says that Christ died for our sins. Okay. But to empower you and to call you to be more deeply and fully human... To which I would basically say, I've got to say, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) This doesn't sound like the voice of my shepherd at all. Then you've ever realized there was the potential within you to be. Maybe salvation needs to be conveyed in terms of enhancing your humanity rather than rescuing you from it. Wow. (laughs) Oh, So if you're a good person. Uh, yeah, wow. So salvation is enhancing your humanity rather than being saved from it. Wow. That's the good person doctrine. I, I don't know what. Wow. Okay, he's got more to say. I can't wait to hear this. Life is a startling and wondrous experience. And eventually, I think we're going to discover that God is unfolding through the life of our consciousness and our self-consciousness and is not a parent figure. There he is speaking about God authoritatively again. Without the authoritative word, we don't want we don't want an inerrant word or an inerrant pope, but we've got an inerrant spong, don't we? In the sky. But I believe because I'm related to something that is not bound by time and space that I will share in whatever God's eternity is. 
So there we go. <laughs> Probably one of the most brazen, anti-Christian, heretical, satanic things I've ever heard anybody say in a church or yet alone on an interview. And he's wearing clerical collars. Okay. Um, how is it that this guy became a bishop? He should have been thrown out. Okay. There's a reason why doctrine is important. Okay. And you guard and defend doctrine. That's why the scriptures say to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Why? You do that. You got to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. And if somebody's not teaching something that's in sound doctrine, you rebuke them and, 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 and correct them and get them back on track. Because if you don't, you end up here. This isn't Christianity, not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't give him very good Vegas odds either. This is a completely different gospel, completely different. Christ didn't come to rescue sinners or, or you know, instead salvation is, uh, is you enhancing your, uh, your humanity, right? <laughs> um, well, which is a lot harder, right? Good luck. You know, I can't do it. Well, John. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I, I can't either. But, you know, you're right. So you're going to end up chasing your tail, enhancing your humanity. You know, it reminds me of a Bill Cosby sketch, but it's not really good to, you know, the, Bill Cosby, he was, t he, uh, in his, uh, have you seen his himself uh, video? And there's a section in there where somebody's supposedly trying to convince him to do cocaine. And, uh, and, and so, and Bill Cosby says, why should I do cocaine? And the guy says, well, because it enhances your personality. Now, these are not the words that, uh, Cosby uses, but he says, yeah, but what if you were, what, what if you're a jerk? <laughs> That's the concept. Okay. The last thing we need is somebody with, you know, have an enhanced personality. If they're a jerk, you know, let's magnify that. But here we have the words, of, again, of the Apostle Paul. Let me remind you of Paul's credentials. He actually uh, had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He, was a, he therefore, is a, is a um, eyewitness of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And he claims that he received his doctrine directly from Jesus and even brought it to the apostles and laid it out to them to see if it was in accord with what they were preaching. And they put their stamp of approval on what Paul's message was. You know that? So you're not going to tell us what you feel? No, because you don't want to know what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> Believe me. Feelings at this point could be dangerous. Paul says to the Galatian church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. Galatians what? Galatians chapter 1. I've, I've read verses 6 and 7. Which is really no gospel at all. And I would say that this applies to John Shelby Spong's so-called gospel. This is no gospel at all. There's no, there's no good news here. Which is really no gospel. Event, evidently, some are throwing you into conversion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I think that's what we heard from Shelby, John Shelby Spong, isn't it? A complete perversion of the gospel. And Paul says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. There's that eternally condemned. There's, there's that hell stuff that we, that the church invented, right? As we have already said, so I say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Is that vague or ambiguous? 
John Shelby Spong does not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he is openly hostile to it, to the point of denying it publicly, of completely rewriting it. And, of course, my question is, by what authority is he doing that? How, 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 how can we trust that what he's saying is true? I mean, he's contradicting Jesus Christ and the scriptures flat out. So how, why is it that he gets to run around in a clerical collar and be called a Christian author? Same with Marcus Borg, by the way. I, you know, I think we've made our points today, don't you think? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling gross. I, I got to go take a bath now. That was icky. <laughs> anyway, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard in today's program, uh, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next week, God bless you.